0: Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Leese with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Super excited today um, as we have a really, really smart guy, probably smarter than Scott and I combined, because um, he knows how to take care of a fish tank more than anything else, uh, for those who aren't listening. Uh, but it is, <laughs> uh, it is David Weiss, uh, who is the Enterprise Sales Director at Outreach at the moment. Is that right,
1: David? Yep, that that's the official title. We can. That is the
0: official that. title. He's also part of Sales Rebellion. He's also got a podcast with his wife called Psych and Sales, which Scott and I are now. We have to like go to legal battles and all kinds of fun stuff. No
2: lawyers
1: are involved.
0: So, but we're David. Thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate you giving us the time.
1: Yeah, Richard Scott, thanks for having me on, man. Really excited for the conversation.
0: Yeah, so just sort of from the beginning, like, like go back to you know just. For people's perspectives, aside from being at Outreach, uh, what are what are some of your other sales careers? Just so they understand, as we talk about stuff, this is where your perspective is coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've spent the last uh, about 14 years in sales, um, and if we're going to go really far back, I think I've been in sales for 30 plus years my, my entire life. My parents said from I was arguing and negotiating with them from the very beginning. Um, but uh, I've worked for, and this is an interesting story in itself, um, my first sales job the last four months, um, burnt out, totally failed, um, and it's because I didn't get any sales training. So from a very early on, um, I learned that uh, sales training and treating your sales career like a professional athlete would, um, would make a huge difference. So when you ask some you know, of my background, one of the things I tasked myself with after that first failed opportunity was working for phenomenal organizations from a sales training perspective. And how I found them you know, 14 years ago was a, a great uh, magazine called Selling Power Magazine. Still exists today, lists the top 50 companies in the world to sell for. Um, and I've worked for Arrowmark that was on it. I've worked for Builder that was on it. Um, and then I've also worked for uh, ADP uh, that was on it. Um, so you know, for me, I've tried to task myself by working for organizations with phenomenal sales training. Because um, I felt like foundationally that would set you know me apart uh, what, in my career. In what does
2: that what does that look like inside those organizations? For for those of us who've never stepped foot into a uh, anything other than a couple hundred person startup before, what are the what do those training programs look like inside of there? And, and what could somebody like me who is working with startups all the time? What could I steal from them and input into you know my startup? gigs or what could, what could early stage VPs, uh, Institute to, to mirror some of those good, big training programs that you've seen.
1: And and Scott, you're an expert at this. I mean, you, you're, you're a playbook guy. You've helped countless startups. I mean, you wrote addicted to the process. So uh, uh, everything that you preach and do it's that refined to the nth degree and done over 50 to a hundred (laughs) years. So it's, it's it 's that thought where there there isn 't um a we don 't know or we haven 't or let 's build this or uh let 's refine this it is this is how it is this is how it always has been this is what we do, and so it 's very much teaching people exactly what to say, what to wear how to talk um, you know there there is no off the script or off the cuff or uh, outside the box, like you, you are in a box. Yeah, um,
2: you're and prepared for all possible scenarios and know yeah. exactly what you're supposed to do next, right?
1: At, at all times. It, yeah. it, is, it is the opposite of a startup. It is, here, there is no outside. It is, you are going to do exactly the way we tell you to do in the way we tell you to do it. Uh, and don't buck the system and don't rebel because we've trained countless people and invested countless millions to building this. So we want you to do it our way.
2: I think what I heard him say, Richard, is that I have to live for another 50 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think Scott would have survived very long. I don't know that I would have either. So uh, that, that's interesting. When did you know you liked sales, though? Like you, you know, even as a kid, were you the competitive kid? Were you always sort of, you know, you know, we always ask people, were you selling candy at school against the rules? Um, when did you know you, like, know you liked sales?
1: Um, I think I was always competitive, but I think the where I really found it, uh, it was my first official sales job that wasn't a sales job. Um, I was working, uh, I was about 16 years old, working at a lo- local uh, computer store called Speed PC. And uh, they, I liked actually building computers. Um, I was kind of a geek. I was back at the house building a computer for a customer, and they came into the shop and started talking to the owner about it, and the owner called me out. And I started talking with the customer about what they were trying to do with that computer and you know, what they wanted and what the purpose was and what problem they were trying to solve for themselves and all of that. And I listened and I started making recommendations. You need this much RAM, you need this size hard drive, you need this speed, yada, yada, yada. Um, and at the end of it, the customer's like, go build me that. Is this, your first, is this your first sale? That was my first sale. You see you just walked out of the back,
2: out of the lab, so to speak, With your little glue gun and whatever you build computers with walked out and sold something
1: yeah man that was it
2: now my question is how come you have a pocket protector
1: there wasn't a pocket protector no
2: okay david so my next question is how come all the other engineers out there and hardware builders can't just walk out there and sell the way you can like that that's amazing Um,
1: i i realized at that time though um i actually liked talking with people i liked asking lots of questions i was more extroverted um i may have been a geek at heart um and i still am i still love computers and and games and all that stuff but i also like solving problems and i think that's really where it came and came out is the owner said to me after that david you're you're going to be our salesperson now and so i now was at the front of the house anybody who walked in i would just try and solve their problem um and and that and then i'd go build it and then i'd come back and it just that that was kind of it man i I don't know why others can't do it but i like talking (laughs) with people and solving problems so that's just me
2: that's great talk to me a little bit about your your time in uh in adp and what you learned in the outside sales kind of environment and how it compares and contrasts to the inside sales environment of most modern software companies you know today and the reason i'm asking this question is i have recently come across a lot of people who have lost their job in outside sales and are nervous about making the switch to inside sales and want to know how they can succeed at it. So that, what advice do you have for those kind of folks?
1: I've, and it's, and it's an interesting question because there's a lot of people who draw very specific nuances to it. Um, I, I don't, I honestly have always felt like outside and inside sales are very similar. Um, I'm also the type of person that when I was selling outside, I would travel as little as I humanly possibly could. And the reason for that is I have a six year old and I've got a wife um, and I love spending time with my family. So before I got on a plane or hopped in a car or traveled anywhere, I wanted to make sure it was actually a qualified deal. Cause I can't tell you how many times early on in my life I would spend weeks of my life on the road and not get any benefit for it. And one of the that actually changed the game for me was telling people no, was telling people I wouldn't travel that I wanted to qualify, present, you know, do all of the, what I consider, you know, early stage parts of the sales process. And when I would travel is when we were going to get a bunch of people in the room with decision makers to, for, to do almost like a final presentation, then take people to, to dinner, break bread, build, you know, that strong lasting relationship and then sign the deal and move on. That's typically when I traveled in my, um, in my sales career. So in what 80, kind of things would you do to
0: push people to let you qualify them? Right. And, and I don't mean in an aggressive way. I might've asked that inappropriately but like what was the defining moment deeper than are we going to get enough people in the room like how did you get them to that stage to say yes I'm going to get enough people in the room for you to travel
1: so my sales process has always been fairly methodical um, we're going to have a first meeting that first meeting is 30 minutes and we're going to build some rapport and understand pain problem and then we're going to uh, align on a potential solution then I was very prescriptive with the next step next step we're gonna do a deep dive analysis. We're gonna really, really dig in to all the elements and it would, all the questions would be fairly laid out. I'd send them to them ahead of time and then we would go through them together. Then I would present my idea of a solution uh, as well as what I felt like it would cost and what I felt like the business case from an ROI perspective would be that we learned in discovery. At that point, that's when PI and, and it's too often was a CHRO uh, and a few other people on their team that I would be involved in discovery from there if they're like look we can afford it we see the roi we agree on the solution um i've done most of what people would do in person i've done most of the selling at that point now it's let's get all the stakeholders involved in the room and actually present uh what um what we're going to be doing for that organization so I wouldn't, until I got to that point, that's often where I was like, do we have the business case? Do we have alignment? Do we agree if there's a problem we could solve? Do we agree how to solve it?
0: All so how do you things. teach that at outreach, right? How do you teach a rep to say no um, in a healthy way that's respectful uh, to the brand but also to the prospect and customer? Cause it oftentimes, you know, you're, it feels like you're speaking from this wisdom of skill and years and honing this down now you're, now you're having to transition and, and teach people who are not as, you just haven't had as much experience and that's not their fault. That's just where they are in life. How do you coach people to take that? Cause it's a pretty bold step.
1: So I feel like it's the, it's the job of the salesperson to define the next steps. Um, we as sellers know the, the buyer journey for our solution better than the buyer does. And the buyer knows how to buy other solutions, but they haven't likely bought our solution in the past. So you speak from this position of, here's what we see as the next best action. And here's when we do these things. And this is what we've seen the most successful. And and I've actually have a slide that I'll pull up at the end of meetings and say, here's the journey that we're on together. And we just had our first meeting. Here's what the next meeting looks like. Here's who's involved. Here's what we're gonna talk about. And at the end of that meeting, it's very prescriptive and then you then you know you can even layer on this is normally when we come on site and have this conversation so you kind of just you know you prepare them with the journey that you're going to be going on together and you come at it through a, a lens of we've done this before and this is what success looks like
0: do you have reps who don't get on board and it doesn't have to be an outreach so let's make sure we're not talking about outreach how do you I mean, you can talk about them, but you know, I don't want Manny to get upset with you. Um, how did you coach people in that regards, right? And I know some of that may have come from your ADP days, but how do you coach those reps who think they're smarter than everybody else?
1: You know, I've, I allow people to, to run and manage their lives the way they want to. Um, when I lead people, I'm gonna talk about what I've done But if for some reason they are better in person and and this is more natural for them, I I want reps to be able to play jazz, especially once we get into the enterprise segment. There are some people who are really, really good in person and they can, over the phone, they're not as good. They don't build relationships, they don't connect as well. Um, And so I recommend people to sell the way, play to their strengths, do what they're good at. Um, But if I then start noticing feedback from them where, oh, I can't get these things done, or I took another plane flight and I'm away from my family, and it didn't go anywhere. You know, if I start hearing those types of things from people that I've I've led in the past, then it's like, well, how, how about you try it this way? This will give you more time with your family. This will give you a better thing. This is what I've learned. So I, I try and let people do it their way and see if it's successful and see if they can get all their work done. And if they start, you know, struggling in certain areas, then I'm going to layer on, hey, how about you try it this way? And, and for the most part, a lot of people will come around to it, but there's some folks that are just really better other places and I don't want to, you know, put them in a box.
2: David, talk, talk to us a little bit about um, this passion project and podcasts that you work on with your, your wife, psych and, and sales. It's particularly interesting to me since I have a psychology background. So how did you get started in that? And, and um, what is your goal and where, where are you taking it?
1: So that was um, very start of COVID. Uh, we were, just hanging out one uh, Sunday night, drinking a bottle of wine, having a conversation. Uh, And we were talking about how her and I were gonna structure um, from home. I've always worked for the last eight years. My wife has two offices. She's always been office bound. My son has always been in uh, daycare or school. So we started looking at how is she gonna get her job done through video therapy? How are we, gonna, you know, manage my day, her day with our son home. And we started talking about how we were going to structure things and like aligning calendars to make sure uh, when I was working, she wasn't and vice versa. And here's when we were going to both help our son and all of that. And so we started talking about that. And we were like, man, this is really good. I was like, I bet, I bet parents all over the world are having this exact conversation right now. Let's record it. And we did. And we got some interesting feedback. And so we're like, all right, well, maybe people are struggling with other stuff. So let's just record that too. And it started becoming this just fun ritual between my wife and I, where every Sunday night we grab a bottle of wine and, and just talk about what we're seeing out there and things that we think could help. And then that uh, has transitioned to now we're having guests on and we're having them talk about- the
0: What are those people. things you're seeing, right? What are those, you know, we're at a really critical moment. It's August of 2020. Uh, back to school, it's happening, right? Um, people are, we're not where we hoped we'd be. Uh, in March, whether we were naive or right doesn't matter. What are the things that you guys are talking about that is resonating with people? Because I think we have a lot of parents who listen to this.
1: Um, burnout is really big. Uh, I find, and I'm, and I've experienced it personally. Most high performing people just work through problems, and they just work harder. Um, and what I feel like a lot of people are struggling with right now is that it's very hard to outwork this problem. Uh, Because a lot of you, you don't have, you've got your, you've got your spouse home. There's the things you used to do to decompress aren't happening as much. And then those personal rewards that you have as salespeople of, you know, winning deals and things along those lines are getting pushed out. So you're not getting the gratification that you used to. And then you also have lots of external pressures that are bombarding without as many, you know, releases. So we're you know, burnout has, has been a big one. Um, uh, Depression, of course, uh, laying gratification and, and being able to work through and elongated sales cycles, fear of potentially losing your job and and organizations, maybe not having your back. Um, Those are all kind of like big topics that we're, we're talking a lot of people on.
0: So this, you know, this speaks to me I've, I've written about it about you know i made depression my superpower i've uh, been dealing with it long before i was in sales um what did what are a couple of things you can give people who are listening who may or may not want to admit they've got these challenges or uh, maybe they have but they don't know what to do like what's what's the recommendation um, aside from just the topic? yeah
1: so some big ones um you are not your number so many people tie their success to their sales goals and you're not in your number. Um, you're so much more than that. And so that, that's one, another one is looking at, um, and confronting some of these things. So it, it's like physically almost like writing down. If you're having a thought, it's fighting that thought in the sense that I'm going to write down, what does that thought say? That's good about me. So if I'm stressed out that, um, I'm not making commissions because I think, well, the good, thing that says about me is I care about my family. I care about my well-being. Um, I want to be successful. Maybe what are some of the things that that says, oh, I'm I'm fearful of my job. Okay, well, if you lose your job, will you get another one? Yes. Will you get another sale? Are other people going through this? Uh, Am I alone? Have I had the right conversation with my boss? So it's kind of like reframing that narrative to both understanding the pros and cons that, that you have around it. Um, knowing that, there's that? a lot of people going through it. Go ahead, please.
0: What about the organizational level, right? Um, you've seen it at a lot of organizations, big, small. Um, I, know, I know Manny and he's very big on health, mental health, life, right? He's, he's, he's a leader in that space, in my opinion. What are some recommendations? Maybe you're the sales leader like you and your company doesn't operate that way, but you want to operate that way. What are some advice for the company leaders who might be listening?
1: You have a lot of open and honest communication with your salespeople. Tell them where it really stands, where, where the organization is. The, some of the biggest reasons why people get depressed or have fears because they don't have certainty. So give them certainty, whether it's good or bad. I, they, the, the known is better than. So let them know about the health of the organization. Let them know about the health of the team. Um, Talk to them about how they're feeling. Uh, Let them know that you see them as more than their number, that you understand that this is a struggle for everyone. So have those communicate, have that, those conversations with them. Let them know that, you know, your job is likely not in jeopardy. If you're going through, all So help redefine what good looks like for them. Maybe good used to be closing a deal a week or a deal a month. Now maybe good is keeping your um, customers engaged and moving things along the sales process, even though it's taking longer or setting new meetings um, or more education sessions, like help redefine good. Uh, Doing those different types of things are, are going to have a, a big impact. Like Manny sends out weekly communications every Friday. Of, of how our organization is doing. My boss uh, sends out communications, empathizing with working parents and letting them know that if you need to spend time with your kids, uh, cause you're working from home and they're homeschooling and you need to co- take a couple hours a day to do that and then get back to work later and you need to be offline, that's okay. Like it's just, you know, being very transparent and, and caring about the individual and having conversations about what they're going through.
2: And was you? We were talking beforehand about um, the book that you wrote. <clears throat> so I got excited because I was like, oh, that's like the prequel to my book. Even So, so talk a little bit about that. Tell everybody what the book is and, and why you
1: wrote it and, and who it's for. So it's called Your Definitive Sales Career Guide. Uh, it is for people thinking about a career in sales. There's so many books on like sales process and, you know, how to sell. There's not a lot of books on why sales Uh, and so many people that aren't in the sales profession fall into it by accident uh, or have this negative stigma around it. And what people don't realize is sales, you have the highest earning potential with the lowest barrier of entry. But a lot of people, when they think sales, they still have snake oil salespeople, used car salespeople, um, you know, the, the, the swindlers and grifters, they still think about that associated with our profession. I think they, so also, one,
2: they also think of, like, the mass scale of failure and frustration and ups and downs that are involved in our profession as well. That skews some people off, too, sure. I think. Yeah.
1: And, and those are people that maybe have some history with it. Um, we, we surveyed 100 people before I wrote our book, uh, and almost all of them f- fell into it by accident. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, had some sort of negative stigma tied to it. So the first chapter of the book is uh, dispelling myths, and what to love and hate about sales. Why even think about it? Uh, so it's painting a really clear picture of, of this career path. Then the middle of the book is all about interview techniques, how to write the resume, what questions to ask, um, how to essentially find the right company and get the job. And then the end of the book is almost your 30, 60, 90 day plan, year long plan of here's how you just ramp up and build a strong foundation for yourself. And then it's a reference guide to all the other books to learn kind of the, the more selling skills, yeah. if you will.
2: So I've, so I've just finished, David, writing my second book, which is all about the, uh, the life of a VP of sales, basically. So now you need to write your second book, which will be the prequel to my second book, so, and it's all about like, how do you know if you want to be a VP of sales, right? You can fill everybody yeah. in on that process.
1: How do you know if you're ready? Um, I tell people that are thinking about uh, going from being an individual contributor to leadership, um, look at when you get excited. Get excited about seeing other people win. That to me is the first glimpse of sales leadership. When you coach and develop someone and you see them have success with it, that's your first glimpse if you still get jealous of other people winning you're not ready to be in leadership yet
2: what is your your what is the first like thing that you do to pressure test whether somebody has the capacity to lead um and i'll give you one example that that i do um, or have done in the past i've noticed that the moment i start telling somebody hey david you know, we've got this sales management spot coming up soon. Are you interested? I'm considering you for it. I think you could be good at it. I noticed that people do one of two things. They either lean super heavily into the leadership stuff and drop the ball on their day-to-day job still and think that they can win this management job by, you know, showing off some leadership stuff. And they fall apart or they continue to do their job really well and pick up pieces and add certain things and, and help, you know, make a sales leader's job easier and whatnot. Um, That's like, so I sort of dangle this out there to watch people, how they react to it and how they can kind of keep two different outcomes in mind at the same time. So I'm curious how you've, how you think about it and what things that you've done and what you look for.
1: I look for do you create followers. So, and you guys have probably seen this in your, in your sales journeys. Once you start being at the top of the leaderboard, other salespeople call you and they ask you, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And the reps will often respond to it in a couple different ways. Some are super guarded Uh, some don't really give time or give very loose advice and some really dig in and want to help people get there and ask them lots of questions about their day and share, you know, best practices and they, you know, create informal mentors and mentees. Um, and they, and that just starts happening. And those people start coming back to those folks again and again and again. And then those people start telling their boss, Hey, this person helped me with these things. And I really appreciate that because you start hearing it in the shout outs of the deals those people went. And when you start seeing more and more of that, those are people that create followers. And if you can create followers, you can lead. How do you?
0: So let's look at it from the other angle and and maybe answer the same question. How do I choose a good sales leader? I'm a rep. Mm -hmm. I'm looking and I'm like, you know, I can imagine what a conversation with David would be like um, in that interview process. But what are the kinds of questions I should be asking my sales lead, my potential sales leader? to see if it's right for me.
1: That's a great question. So Richard, let me ask you this. If someone said to you, hey, um, what are the sales methodologies you believe in? What would you tell them?
0: I believe in mine, right? So I I created one.
1: consulting form of, of, but you have a methodology. You'd hear things like challenger, spin selling, med pick, winning by design. Um, You know, you'd start hearing all these these different methodologies, right? Right. If you ask a good leader, hey, what, sa- what sales leadership methodologies do you subscribe to? You should, in theory, hear the same. Oh, I love John Maxwell. I mean, there's, um, uh, their, their leadership and sales are in paths. People that have chosen to be good leaders, have it, they just haven't woken up good leaders. They've studied it. They've studied leadership. They've worked hard at it. Um, they tell stories about what it's like to work for them. Uh, So to me, uh, that's how I would determine a good leader is have they dedicated themselves, just like a good salesperson dedicates themselves to sales, have they dedicated themselves to being a good leader? And I try and figure that out the same way I would if someone's a good salesperson, what's their process? What do they do? How do they work with their reps?
0: So what what happens again? So if I'm the rep and, and manager doesn't know that, right? Like I've Nobody ever told me here are the sales leadership books to read right here. Are the, you know, it, and again, I lived in a small world, startup world type place. What would I do? Do I run for the Hills? Do I, what do I ask maybe people on his, on the team, maybe when it gets to that stage of like, Hey, you're going to interview with a couple of RIEs to see what they're like. What kind of things do you ask those people?
1: So there's, to me, there's some tenets of leadership Uh to, Do people work for you or do you work for your people? So I would ask some questions. Hey, what's a typical one-on-one look like? And if it's highly pipeline and forecast driven, man, that that to me is a red flag. Is it, hey, I wanna understand your priorities for the week and see what they are and see how I can help. That to me is a a collaborative you and me against your quota approach. Um, Are you uh, When you look at deal strategy, I would ask, hey, how often are you going on meetings with people? And do you, reveal, do you review calls? And do you ha- how do you help people prep for a meeting? What do you do during a meeting? And how do you help us after a meeting? Um, and what's your, what's your relationship to our buyers? And what do you do um, inside of my opportunities? Um, so I'd be asking questions like that. And then I'd be also asking, like, how do you help me remove internal roadblocks? So are you going to bat for me? And do you have my back? That's
0: great. Those are all, it's funny. We, we interviewed a woman the other day. Um, and we, she defined culture as, you know, not necessarily how much you like the people you work with, but how easy is it to get shit done in the organization? And those kinds of questions show me that at a sales rep level, how easy is it for me to get my job done? Not that my job is easy. And what kind of support do I have? And I think that's what you're really talking about. So I really uh, just sort of continued to validate that in my opinion. Um, you know, what do you, you know, I know you talked a little bit about psych and and family and, and those things just shifting entirely. What do you and your wife do to create downtime in this world, right? Your wife's used to being in an office, being around a lot of people. You're used to being home. How do you support that? Your spouse, how do you support each other in that?
1: It, It requires more intentionality than I thought, um, We tried to wing it when we first started. Uh, We all. It it, it didn't go well. Um, So with intentionality, and it's funny, um, both my wife and I, we're we're, A-type, hard-charging type type folks, and we both need to look at each other on the weekends and say, uh, put your phone away, close your laptop, we're going to listen to music by the pool, and we're going to have some margaritas. Like, it, it needs to be prescriptive and it needs to be intentional. Um, and if it's not, it, we're just going to a lot of old patterns. Because, frankly, everything feels like work these days. It's Groundhog Day. You're, we're all home nonstop. We're not most going anywhere. I haven't, we haven't left our house in any meaningful way in, like, six months at this point. Um, so if we're not highly intentional about it, not reading the news, turning electronics off, spending time. like being prescriptive um we just find ourselves you know treating every day like any other day and it doesn't what, just well.
0: out of curiosity what do you so you, i love that you you like listening to music by the pool right yeah. what what other things like i'm trying to again i i like to give people i more than just the idea of like oh i hadn't thought about
1: that um we pick what movies we're going to watch every weekend with our son so we have conversations about with what hey hey ian what is a uh, what would you like to do this weekend oh i want to do a movie night and i'd like to set up a, a tent in the backyard okay we'll do that so we try and make sure it's a good experience for him so we ask him every single day, what would a good weekend be like for you buddy Oh, i want to do these things with you so we make a plan to do those things um then we then my wife and I, hey we love playing virtual reality we've got really cool like surround vr setup in, in our living room so we will talk about that like what do we want to do during the day we want to grill. We want to cook together. What do we want to do at night? We want to watch these movies. We want to play these games, do this VR. Like we, we make a plan for the weekend um, and then we execute that plan. Uh, so it's kind of just being intentional with what are your hobbies? What do you like? You know, what can you guys do together and then spending a lot of that time together and putting our freaking stupid phones away for a little
0: bit. How do you guys again, and then we'll, we'll shift back to, to sales, but how do you guys, and how do you even coach people to, you know, it is Groundhog Day, and if we're not careful, we will be on our devices till 11 o'clock working. But then again, we've also got kids in school, and I've got to sit there and be there. You know, partic- I'm thinking of, mostly I'm thinking more of the, of the parents with the four, five, and six-year-olds who just are, you know, the kid had, just can't sit there and look at a screen all day for three or four hours. What kind of advice do you give to those people, whether they're your employees or, or to your listeners of the podcast?
1: Um, value the time, take the time know you'll never get the time back and know your kid is probably struggling with this worse than you i know my son feels lonely he's an only child he's used to going to school having daycare and playing with you know 20 30 something kids a day he he hasn't seen or played with another kid in six months if i think this is hard on me it is so much harder on him so i try and be really intentional about that like son let's something together let's play together if he wants to play on his phone let's find roblox there's games called like roblox and Zuba. he loves both of those so we'll we can download them on our phones and on our, we will play them together all right so let's go for a walk let's walk the dog together okay that fun dad. like let's play blocks or, or build legos like i try and find activities that he's trying to do and then say hey how can i let's do that together and then i try and immerse myself in his world not try and get him to conform to my you yeah. know
2: you got to, it's, it's very, there's a sales metaphor in there about like meeting them where they're at, right? <clears throat> you got to meet your your kids where they're at, do what they want to do, not what you want to do, which is very similar to meeting the buyer where they're at rather than where you want them to be already or, or, or what have you, right? So what is what has been the uh, most challenging part of being on this outreach Rocket ship. Everybody just assumes that it's, you know, a beautiful thing and so fun and nothing ever goes wrong. And, uh, you know, what an amazing place to be. I want to know some of the warts of being on a rocket ship like this.
1: So what, first, what,
2: what can you Tell people about
1: that, about it. That's hard. Um, first, it is an amazing place to be. Uh, it is a great product with awesome- the
0: episode yeah. title, the warts of working at outreach. <laughs>
1: um, I'm sure we're
2: not going sure to do that go many. Over real well. yeah. Every, every yeah. place has flaws, man, but no, no, sometimes, uh, some organizations flaws get glossed over more than others. And it doesn't even have to be outreach specific. I want to know what is the hard part about being at a rocket ship, right?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it a little broad. So there's multiple applicability. Um, For me, one of the hardest things is being new. I didn't freaking realize how hard it was to be new. I've spent the last six plus years at a Fortune 250 in sales leadership. Um, I thought I'd just be able to jump into outreach and rock it. Um, That wasn't the case. I had to learn all new products, all new talk tracks, um, build my brand from scratch. No one gave a shit about what I did in the past. Um, So that to me was really tough. I forgot how hard it is to be new at an organization. Um, and I can promise I'm not going anywhere anytime soon unless they fire me because I don't want to be new again. It sucks. Um, the the other um, piece of being on a rocket ship or really I'd say any startup, and this was a, a big lesson for me, again, coming from 10 plus years in the Fortune 500 and 250 ADP is they don't have everything figured out. Uh, Talk tracks do change, uh, positioning changes, competition is constantly evolving. Outreach kind of created a space right along with Sales Loft. And so, and, and there's a few other companies that you know are trying to do what we do, but we're the players constantly iterating um, how we go to market. And so that is tough. We are flying a plane while we, while we build the engines. Um, and that's difficult for people that are maybe used to all things, all things being figured out for them. Uh, so that, that's been one of the harder parts.
2: Well, that's, a, that's a really good point about the uh, processes changing, pitch changing and, and things like like that, right? Speaks to what you said before at the beginning of the show where you talk to some particular company who's been around 100 years, right? And they've got this thing dialed in completely, right? Yeah, not like that. Not like that, even at, a, uh, even at a rocket ship that's taken nope. off.
1: So. That, that's been tough for me uh, because I'm yeah. used to here's exactly what you do, how you do it, why you do it, go do it. This is more like, uh, what do you think we should do? <laughs> it's like, oh, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, this has, been, this has been fun, David. What can we do to, uh, to help you
1: and, and support you? Um, Hey, if, if, people are looking for help with mental health and sales, um, Scott, you're going to be on, you know, my podcast here in, in a couple of weeks. I'm super excited to have you on, man. Uh, Richard, you're, you're of course, welcome. i uh, love to get your perspective as well. Um, but you know, if you're looking for people that need help with mental health and sales, uh, I think my wife and I have this really unique thing where she has her PhD in psychology and that's what she does every day. And I know one or two things about sales. So, you know, helping people both with mental health and sales process If someone's looking for that type of coaching i'd love to be able to support them um if you have people in college high schools that you happen to know that are you know debating our profession love to see if sales is right for them love to share the book i i we sell it for nine dollars and 99 cents we ain't trying to get rich on this book we're trying to get it in as many people's hands as we possibly can Where can Um, where
2: can they find your podcast and your book is the book on amazon
1: Yep. Books on Amazon, uh, podcasts on Apple, uh, and anchor. Um, so anybody looking for those things, uh, you know, just want to help them. And look, I coach a lot of salespeople for free. So if folks are just looking for general advice or have some questions, I, Scott, I know you do this, but you know, I'm, I'm here to support the sales community. So if you just want to pick somebody's another perspective, find me on LinkedIn, David Weiss at Outreach, um, hit me up. I, if you, want to build a relationship with me, I will respond to you within 24 hours. If you try and sell me something, I will not respond to you. So please just be a nice human and just be like, Hey, I listen to you. I'd love to have a conversation. I'll give you so much time. It's no problem. I just want to help people.
2: That's great. Thanks so much, David. We appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, hopefully everybody gets a chance to check out your podcast and your and your book. And uh, I'm excited to get on the show in a,
1: in a couple weeks. So we'll talk again soon. Yes, sir. Scott, Richard, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys.
0: Yeah, no worries. We actually got to give a quick shout out to Lead 411. We forgot to do that beginning of the show. One of our uh, sponsors, who if you're looking for intent data and direct dial phone numbers, please check out Lead 411. Thanks, everybody.